Well, this is our last week. It's the last week you have to look at that. I mean, that <laughs> version of it. You still have to look at this for a little while longer, anyway. Um, so, so far in Galatians, um, we've explored the, the discussion that Paul is having with the Galatian church in this letter that uh, he's written to them. And uh, we've covered the idea that we don't uh, earn status before God by keeping the rules. That, that, that faith uh, expressed in belief is what defines our status with God. That was back in Galatians 3. We've, we've captured the essence of true freedom and that there is neither doing nor not doing that changes that. The only thing that counts is, is, is faith expressing itself through love. We go grab that from the first half of Galatians 5. And we've explored uh, living life according to the Spirit. What that means and, and what that doesn't mean. Uh, and in particular, that the fruit of our lives is God's inner work, the work of the Spirit expressed uh, in character. And now we get to chapter 6. And chapter 6 is, is really a set of examples of how this all plays out, of what this looks like uh, applied uh, in community. Some examples, if you like, of, of, of faith expressing itself through love. Or some examples of the fruit of our character, uh, the fruit of our lives expressing itself through character. Or as the guy in the blue shirt says, leveling up crazy fast by being the freaking good guy. <laughs> which is a rough paraphrase of Galatians 6.9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And he didn't give up, did he? I mean, seriously, he kept on trying. So tonight we're gonna we're gonna level up. Let's pray. Father God, um, it's been a fun series, um, but it's been a challenging and insightful series for us as well. And continue to ask that you would help us to uh, to examine our lives, to, to to examine the inner part of who we are, and that we would be able to lose our human fascination with always focusing on those things that we think uh, drive who we are from the outside, but instead, God, that you would really uh, bring home to us what it is in our inner world that you're wanting to shape. And so even as we tonight look at some of how this plays out in, in real life and in practical terms, uh, God, would you keep calling us back uh, to the heart, that we might be uh, changed because we've been together, that we might be changed and transformed because we have encountered uh, that your word and your spirit bringing out a life for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I uh, was uh, at Howard Intermediate School, uh, for a while there, I was living the absolute dream. Now, I need to do a little poll, and I'm sorry if this feels exclusive, but it is. <laughs> because if you, are, if you have deep, deep roots in Howard, like I do, you will know what I'm talking about. So I want you to raise your hand if you know, when I say the words big T, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyone know? Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone? I see that hand. Let's do an off call right now. No. Um, the big T takeaway 
was the mecca of takeaways in Howard. And it was right across the road from Howard Intermediate. Uh, now, there's an Indian food place there, uh, where it used to be. And you might think, well, so what? Proximity to the big T, you were just across the road at Howard Intermediate. That's nothing. Well, no. My best friend at Intermediate, his family owned the big T. <laughs> So you can imagine what this was like after school. We would get, we'd go over there, and his mum would like deep fry us donuts and hot dogs and all kinds of things, hot chips, and it was kind of like a dance. You'd never like directly ask. You would just sort of kind of hang around and hope that grace would happen, and normally it did. But even better than that is the big T had one of the very few arcade machines of that classic Space Invaders. <laughs> Everyone knows, okay, some of you are young enough to know, are old enough to know Space Invaders. <laughs> and at the time, I think you could play for 20 cents if you didn't know someone whose mum owned the big two, in which case you were playing for free every day after school. And uh, man, I was, I was living the dream. And I don't know if you remember how those arcade games are, but the kind of the, the claim to fame is the list of high scores that, that, that are there for all time, the kind of the champion of the champions high scores. And it was my dream, my dream to get one of those high scores, to be immortalized forever on the, on the home screen of the Space Invaders game at the big T takeaway. Those of you that have played games with me will know that um, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't seem to matter how much I try, I never like get beyond noob status. <laughs> and so, you, and I play video games with people like Dave, and it's just an invitation for him to treat me very cruelly. Um, I'm really not very good at video games. Um, there's a context to chapter six that I think is just, I mean, the whole thing that we've been going through is a context to chapter six, but um, but just a, a little um, a little kind of a teaser for us and. In verse 525, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, proud, provoking, and envying each other. It's a strange little uh, conclusion to chapter 5. Um, and I suspect it has something to do with the Galatians themselves, but perhaps it's something really common to humanity in general. See, so far we've seen Paul reject the idea that simply keeping the law of Moses will earn you favour before God. And in particular, circumcision as an example of, of physical observance translating to spiritual acceptability. Instead, we live by the Spirit. But there's an environment of competition in Galatia that is fueling chapter 6. And it's within the Galatian church, but it's also uh, this competition for allegiance that's happening between those who are trying to deceive the Galatians. We'll call them the deceivers. We don't actually know precisely who they are or who they were. And it's a, it's a competition that's really consistent with the honor culture of the region at the time. A culture where honor from others was really sought as a high value. Not so much that that we kind of uh, pimp ourselves and our, and our virtues, but that we will have that bestowed on us by others. 
And so with that kind of context in mind, uh, we reach chapter 6. And we discover right at the beginning that love, one of the fruit that's mentioned in Galatians 5, love means, in this context in chapter 6, that we don't look down on others who are struggling with, with sinful actions. We're not keeping score. Because Paul's formula here is that it's not outward observance that creates status with God. It's not outward observance that creates honor. So we're not keeping score. And we're certainly not building ourselves up by comparing ourselves to others. I mean, this is just an ancient area's problem, right? So we would never like try to build ourselves up by comparing ourselves to others or looking down on people who fail miserably and getting a kind of a buzz from that. So I know it's a bit academic and it's probably not really scandalous to do that. But we're not building ourselves up by looking down on others or by comparing ourselves to others. Instead, what Galatians 6 calls us to is this task of restoring others from a place of love. And the context here is that uh, where people were struggling and committing sin, uh, punishment under the law of Moses would have been a default a response uh, for their behaviors. But here, there's a different law. A different law that's in action and it has different imperatives. And here's what it says. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, there's a, there's a dichotomy being set up between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. Two different ways of viewing the world and living in it. And so we carry each other's burdens rather than increasing them. That's what Galatians 6 is leading us towards. And I can't help but wonder whether Paul is, is hinting at one of Jesus' own teachings here, which we find in Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, this is, uh, whether Paul intended to reference it or not, this is the law of Christ. This, this uh, life uh, with a yoke that is perfectly formed for the human spirit, where we find rest for our souls. The yoke, a yoke that is easy and light rather than burdened with performance and expectation. So there's this scenario of, of competition and honor that could fuel an environment where people are judged and are torn down and where people do make themselves feel better by comparison. But instead, it's an environment where restoration uh, from love is being uh, enacted. But I wonder if you've ever noticed that those who speak loudest about the offenses of others are often the most guilty of the particular thing they're calling out? Maybe it's just me. See, I think hypocrisy is in play here in Galatians 6, and, and certainly pride also is in play. Because Paul says, watch out that in restoring others, you don't get caught up with your own pride. It's so good that I can help you. 
so good that I can help you from your place of weakness and shame. You get where I'm going. But watch yourself, Paul says, or you also may be tempted. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. See, we're not talking here about an anything goes kind of environment. We're talking about an environment of grace where right behavior flows from right hearts. Where the, where the fruit of the Spirit is being lived out in ways that recognize wrongdoing, that recognize sin for what it is, but where the, the trajectory is towards restoration rather than punishment. And it's a picture, I think, too, of, of self-examination, you know, rather than other examination. Self-examination, uh, as well, where people are not, are not fooling themselves about their virtue. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, love the sinner, hate the sinner. Any, anyone know the Bible verse for that? There isn't one. There isn't one. You know who, do you know who said it? Gandhi. Well, it's actually part of the Christian worldview. And, and the truth is that God doesn't call you to hate anyone's sinner. He might call you to hate your own. He doesn't call you to hate anybody else's. And what's the point of loving the sinner? Like there's a separate category of people that you love called the sinner. Whereas I thought it was love your neighbor, not love, not love your sinner. No, hang on, love the sinner. Oh, no, I don't get the distinction. See, it's a rejection of this kind of high school mentality where, where, where we're defined by our position in the all-time champion list. But it's also a mindset of, of embracing this looking to our own character while we support those who sin and struggle. Where, I guess in a way, our individual responsibility and our communal responsibility actually meet. We're taking responsibility for our own living. But we really are our brothers and our sisters keeper. I wonder how good we are at either of those things. So if you think about restoration, Think about, let's just imagine for a moment that I'm going to, because I'm a generous person, I'm going to give you the gift of restoration right now. Well, what's implicit to me giving you the gift of restoration? Well, that you're a dirty rotten sinner. This is part of the challenge, isn't it? Restoration requires grace in the giving, not thinking more of yourself than you should, but it also involves grace in the receiving. I'm able to self-examine and accept the help from others. Your personal examination requires grace as well. And so we ask God for these. And this is the dance, if you like, between the inner life and the outer life. Between a behavior that has been driven up by our hearts. But our hearts are not completely pure. And so we are constantly, uh, I guess, drawn to what's happening in our hearts but also uh, our hearts are being revealed by our actions. This is not a bad thing that we are in this dance. It only becomes a bad thing if it becomes the way that we are keeping score with God 
and what others. And just to make sure we're clear that Paul is not playing games here, we get to verse 7. Melissa's version was a lot nicer than my version. My version says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You can't trick God. You can't fool God. You can't manage God. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So, so in setting up the, the law of Christ, Paul points out again that this is not an anything goes environment. This is not a case of, of avoiding the consequences of destructive behaviours. The, the law, of, the law of, of Christ is not about having unlimited lives, in a sense. I don't know if you uh, know how the Space Invaders game works. Um, because you know, all kinds of games you know, through the history of gaming have different kinds of ways that they, that they work. And uh, I know because I have studied the Space Invaders game deeply and personally over many, many after school. Are my kids in the room? Because I try to get them off the computer quite a lot after school. This was not a computer. This was, this was something else. Uh, one of the things about the Space Invaders game, and it's part of being an early game with a pretty dumb computer behind it, is that it's a very patterned game. And in fact, when you learn through the use of your many lives to try to level up in the game, what it is is an exercise in pattern recognition. And you're trying to remember as much as you can about the game so that as it gets faster and faster and faster, you're able to predict uh, what's happening. Um, like, like the free guy, but you know, when he was able to go back and uh, redo the exercise and get better and better better. Unlike those scenarios, we do get a second chance from God, but we don't avoid the consequences of destructive behavior. We don't actually get to avoid our mistakes, or indeed others' destructive behavior towards us. And this idea of mocking God is the false belief that we can live outside God's pattern for life and, and somehow still thrive without the consequences of destructive choices. It's like it's, it's like planting potatoes and hoping for tomatoes. You, you do, it, does not, it doesn't work like that. Instead, the idea here is that you, you reap what you sow. You get what you plant. And I think this often plays out for us in, in a couple of different ways. Um, and this is, the, this is the tension that I think exists in Paul's framing of the law of Christ where we're having to work out what kind of attention will we, will we pay to behaviour? What kind of attention will we pay to wrongdoing in our sin? I think the first thing that we sometimes end up doing uh, is what I call sin management. And sin manage management is where we shrink the categories of sin to, to culturally acceptable limits or even personally acceptable limits. And as we do this, we overstate often the benefits of sin to ourselves. <laughs> if it feels good, it must be good. So if you think back to Paul's list um, in, in Galatians 5, 17, 20, which David led us through last week, uh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Remember that list was not a checklist, uh, as Dave uh, talked us through, not a checklist, and not how we prove anything to God about our work or our merit. 
But they were examples of living according to the flesh and, and contrary to the spirit. And it's human nature to try to shrink these categories. Uh, for example, I'm just going from the list. It's not discord, it's not disagreement and, and conflict if I'm sharing a prayer need with someone. Otherwise, I'm going to pray someone in the back. <laughs> it's, not, it's not drunkenness if I'm only a little bit drunk. That's like being only a little bit pregnant. <laughs> I'm sorry, people. The scriptural standard is not linked to whether you blow a positive in the breathalyzer. You're over. Or you're not. It's not sexual immorality if we love each other. Come on, guys have been using that line for thousands of years. <laughs> See, too easily we, we shrink the categories to, to justify often meeting our, our real needs uh, with, with counterfeit measures. Well, Paul would say that in the case of the Galatian teachers, they are, they are shrinking the categories, uh, or in some ways expanding the categories, uh, because they don't want to deal with uh, what the cross means. Sin management. I think we all do it, but it's, it's uh, part of being uh, human. And I think this plays out for us in a second way. And I kind of just think of this as acceptable losses. That we think in our behavior that there are some losses that we're prepared uh, to take or prepared to cause. This is where we minimize the impact of our destructive behavior on others. It's a way of minimizing my destructive behavior towards you. You had it coming. What you expected? Or, I don't know, how did they get hurt by that? I mean, they shouldn't have hurt them. It wasn't that bad. Another way of not taking responsibility, even for inadvertent offense, which I might be causing right now, I do well, how was I supposed to know? Like, ignorance is a reason not to apologize when someone gets hurt. I, I try to tell my kids that if they accidentally hurt one of their family members, they still say sorry. Well, we all knew. We all knew what we were getting into. We all knew. See, that this, is, this, is, this is kind of playing games with our impact on others. And in the end, that's just that's playing games with people. And uh, I think it often manifests itself, both of these categories doing, in playing games with the scriptures. We shrink the scriptural categories. And Paul says it's mocking God. Now, in contrast to this kind of slightly negative view, Paul says, don't give up. Don't let the challenge of, of resisting cultural excess wear you down. Don't stop the journey of examining behavior and allowing the spirit to shape you. Don't give up. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And at this point, Paul is not specifically talking about doing good to others. That's coming. This is about the doing of good personally. That's a big category, doing good. See, one of the, the concerns that Paul expresses later in verse 12 is how the deceivers in Galatia are trying to avoid the consequences of the cross through the Lord, diluting the law of Christ. And so, so Paul is imploring them, don't go back, don't go back to your old lives. And his opposition to the works of the law does not mean he's opposed to moral conduct or good works. For Paul, it just flows from a different place, not from the law, 
but from grace. That's where it flows from. And, it's, and it extends not just to the personal sphere, but an extensive relational sphere, as if it is actually possible to separate those two. Verse 10, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. Big category, all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So this thread of restoring others extends to this general principle of doing good to others, especially those in our community of faith. We need, we need to be to each other uh, the hands of, of restoration spiritually and the hands that might be physical needs. And when Paul speaks of, of this opportunity, he does so with a sense of urgency. It has a flavor. We still have time, but don't waste it. That, that's how Paul kind of expresses it. And I think part of it is Paul's living with the sense of his own mortality, as well as, as the sense of the times being short living with the hope of Jesus' return when the game's over. Until then, maybe we might live without the games. Well, then we have this curious uh, verse in verse 11. I don't know if I've got it up there. Um, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can have a look. Um, verse 11. And these, these kind of uh, little funny little interpol interpolations are really always interesting to me in Scripture. Paul just suddenly randomly says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? What the? What is he talking about? It's a really curious kind of start to this last section of the letter, which is, is really a conclusion. So he's getting to the conclusion of the whole thing. He's going to wrap up the whole five, um, six and a half verses, five and a half verses that he's got he's been going through. And Paul is really saying, this is all my own work. This is all my own work. I've handwritten it myself. You see, because you know that because my eyesight is failing, and a scribe would not write like this with such large letters. And it's important that Paul makes the point that this letter is all his own work. Because his conviction is that the, the deceivers in Galatia are looking to profit off the works of the Galatians. And I don't mean uh, monetarily, but to profit in reputation as they turn these Galatians around and turn them back to the Lord of Moses. They're wanting other people's works to decide their reputation. This is how he says it in verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. What Paul says really counts is the new creation. That's what really counts. This is how he says it. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. The funny thing about my experience at Takeaway, and I know I've talked it up, 
free donuts, free hot dogs, hot chips, unlimited games. I mean, it was this cornucopia of grace just flowing into my life. But you know what? I've always felt kind of guilty about doing it. I've always felt guilty about not paying. I felt guilty about you, you, know, you, you know, do this right, you open the little thing, come up here, use the screwdriver, yeah, and you just simulate the coin going so you can have unlimited games. It felt off to me. Even at 12, I had somehow internalized the viewpoint that grace is not something that I should accept without paying for it. It's kind of messed up. I couldn't, I couldn't take something free and unfettered. Somehow, I had to earn it. Somehow, I was doing wrong by, by doing what I was doing. Which was simply just exercising freedom and receiving a gift from someone. And no matter how many times I respawned in the game and we... I don't know how many games we ever played. What Paul says is it's a different kind of respawning that really counts. It's the new creation. It's what's new that counts. It's what God is doing in me and in you. And as we kind of do the dance between reflecting on our inner life, and, and we have a bunch of tools that we've been using this year and, and rhythms and ways of doing that as, as we've gone through the year, as we reflect on the inner life. Part of it is this, the tension between this dance of reflecting on inner life and reflecting on outward behavior, our own outward behavior, and yet not being so insulated from others that we miss when somebody's struggling. I think this is a real challenge in the season we're in. Who's got the energy for self-examination? As you look around the room, just do that like metaphorically. Who's not struggling? Who doesn't need help? We're in a high-needs environment with low-energy disciples. And yet I believe that this kind of life is still accessible to us. That, for me, getting over receiving God's grace in such an abundant way that I might have something left. But I wouldn't feel bad about donuts and hot dogs and free games. But if you and I were able to live the kind of freedom that Paul is, is offering on behalf of Christ through this letter to the Galatians. That you and I might be people that are more equipped to, to reflect on ourselves without being isolated from those around us. And this is both the, the opportunity and the great grace of this passage, but also the great challenge of this passage. Because it feels hard to live beyond ourselves at the moment.
Leave us with that, with verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. May it be so in our lives and the life of our community together. Thank you.